You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen, amen. Thank you. And how about a thanks to Ushwin for leading us today. Ushwin's been on staff with us for about a year and a half. He normally is in the back running sound, but he is multi-talented and loves to serve. He's kind of the Barnabas of the staff, uh, always smiling, always encouraging people. Uh, And like many of the staff and leaders we have, not only is he multi-talented, but uh, willing to step in and fill when there's any role that uh, needs to be filled, like leading worship today. Um, Let me invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Romans chapter 16, uh, last chapter of Romans. We'll cover half of it this morning, and we will finish up the book of Romans. Romans um, ne- next week. Uh, a couple years ago, I was uh, really blessed and to be able to take a trip to Alaska. I was gone for quite a few days, and praise God, did not have any cell phone service. Amen? That's the way to live your life. I realized that that was just a, an incredible blessing, but it also was uh, somewhat sad because I couldn't connect with my wife and my kids. Uh, and so at the end of the trip, when we got back into Palmer, Alaska, uh, after about nine days of no service hiking around, some of the most beautiful country there is, uh, I called my wife and I was excited to uh, share with her about the trip. I wanted to ask her how things had gone, how school had gone, how uh, the weather was in Midland and all the kids' uh, updates and uh, just excited to touch base and to share uh, from my point of view how things are going and to listen from her point of view uh, how the last few days had gone. Uh, And at the end of the conversation, I realized that I did what we often do if you have a conversation with somebody uh, on the phone or perhaps if you are a letter writer, uh, sometimes we will close our letters this way. Uh, But basically at the end of this conversation, I said, uh, and make sure um, that you relay from me to the family that I love them, that I miss them. Uh, Please tell Judah that I am so proud of him for uh, working hard at school, which was an update she had given me. Please tell Paisley I'm super proud for the way that she has chipped in and helped so much around the house. And please tell Hudson that I'm so glad he is still the life of the party and he is still the one bringing all the joy uh, and, uh, and the smiles and the giggles into the family. Uh, and uh, just my love to them. And so oftentimes we close a letter, we close a, a phone call with that. You'll probably find yourselves or notice maybe the next few days or weeks. If you have a conversation with someone, uh, you might close in the same way. Please convey my love or my regards to so-and-so. That's a very common thing to take place at the end of uh, many of the epistles. We call them epistles, the personal letters uh, in the New Testament. And so what you have that we're going to cover today is is Paul's version of that. He had just written the entire epistle of Romans, the letter to the church in Rome, and he had given them instruction. He had corrected some things, given them just a robust theology and understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he doesn't just end it with, I hope you have great theology, good luck, period. Uh, He ends it with, please send thanks to so-and-so and and greet so-and-so and and tell so-and-so I'm proud of them. And he just lists a long list of individuals at the end of this book. Uh, In fact, there are 26 individuals that Paul commends, and he calls 24 of them out by name. Uh, Nine of those 26, at least nine, are uh, women. Some of them, their names could go either way. Um, There are Jews and Gentiles in this list. There are slaves and free folks in this list. Uh, There are very rich and wealthy folks and very poor folks on this list. Uh, It's incredible how personal Paul's ministry was. And so he finishes this, this most important letter in human history with a long list of names, and I know sometimes there's a tendency uh, to breeze past the names, right? How many of you, you start out January, you're like, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. It's going to be great. I've got an annual plan. And then you get to the book of what? Numbers. And it's just like name after name after name. And a lot of you, that's where you get uh, bogged down and just kind of abandon it. So you've read uh, maybe Genesis 30 times and maybe you've never gotten any further. Because sometimes you can easily get bogged down in the names. Uh, I don't want us to get bogged down in the names. There's a reason um, that uh, the Holy Spirit decided to put some very specific uh, lists of individual people in the Bible uh, for us. Uh, In fact, two things. I want to share two different goals by way of uh, why these names are in here for us. One was Paul's purpose uh, for calling out individual people for the actual church in Rome. 
I think when Paul begins to uh, list out all these individuals, he had a very specific purpose, or actually a few, for what he was trying to accomplish with the church in Rome 2,000 years ago. One, I think he wanted the church to know that ministry was about people. Ministry is about people. It's not just about theology. Theology is incredibly important. In fact, it can't, be, um, it can't be understated how important theology is. But the end game of theology is for us to love and cherish Christ more and love and serve and invest our lives in actual people. And so I think he highlights individuals so that he can prove, like, like the point of all of this is that, that people's lives might be changed. Um, second thing, I think he specifically wanted to encourage those 26 people. I'm sure when they heard that letter written and the church knew who they were and uh, realized that Paul commended them for certain things, what an incredible encouragement and a breath of fresh air that must have been for them um, to hear Paul commend them and notice their service and their uh, efforts to serve God's people. And so no doubt, I think Paul very specifically wanted to call out some individuals um, that maybe needed a little bit of encouragement and encourage them. Uh, And the number three, I think Paul realized that what is celebrated uh, is replicated. Uh, We talk about this often in the staff, and we want to really try to highlight and celebrate certain things because what is celebrated is replicated. And I think that the 26 people that Paul mentions by name are just a fraction of the people that were in the churches, the people that he knew. He did not list everyone. I'm sure there was a whole lot of people that uh, he would have listed if he was listing off the negative things, but he doesn't go that way. Uh, He goes towards the route of trying to highlight the people that are exemplary, that he wants everyone else in the church to follow their example, because what's celebrated is replicated. So Paul is trying to celebrate the people that are working hard, the people that are serving, the people that are faithful, the people that are diligent to give their lives for the cause of the gospel and the people in the local church, hoping that that would catch on uh, for maybe the rest of the folks in Rome. So there's a lot of reasons that Paul writes all these specific names for the actual church in Rome. Second half of that, the flip side of that, is why uh, for us, I think there is a reason that God gave Romans to Redeemer Church in Midland. Uh, and they're very similar, honestly, to um, the goal for Romans, although slight, slight difference. Uh, number one, I think God wants us, as we read through this list of names, to know that ministry is about people. The end goal of good theology is to cherish Jesus Christ more and to invest your life in people, loving, serving them, and replicating that ministry so that over time more and more people not just join the family of Christ as Christians, but join the army and the effort to give their lives to love and serve others. Um, th- that's something that I hope that we take away from, that ministry is about people. Uh, I went to Dallas Baptist University, uh, and oftentimes there was a big group of guys that just absolutely loved theology, and they would debate it uh, night and day, early morning, wake up and debate theology all the way into the wee hours of the night. Normally it was Calvinism, but there was a few other topics that would uh, potentially come up. And over time, I realized that if they were to write the book of Romans, um, they would just get through all of the theology and then say, the end, period. No no people in their life that they had loved, no people that they had served, uh, had not personally discipled folks to um, reproduce themselves in others, uh, hadn't laid their life down. And like, that's, that's why Paul writes specific individuals and people because he wants us to see as we've walked through the entire book of Romans and learned all of these incredible things that the point of that is for us to cherish Jesus Christ more for what he has done and invest our lives in actual individuals and in people. Uh, Second thing I think that was God's goal in Romans for us uh, is the same thing that what is celebrated is replicated. What is celebrated is replicated. So I hope that you find somebody in this list and you're like, you know what, I could could be more like them because they're following Jesus' example and and, and Paul is uh, elevating them as an example and he's celebrating them. And what's celebrated not only was replicated in Rome, but I hope and I pray that what Paul celebrates in this list is replicated in this room. 
Uh, you've probably heard many, many times that uh, in churches, about there's about 10% of the people um, that are doing about 90% of the work. Uh, I honestly think at Redeemer that percentage is much higher, but it's still true that there's a lot of people um, that are doing a lot of the work and that are carrying a big load. And so the point is that uh, people that are maybe just coming into a relationship with Jesus, maybe just joining a church for the first time, are learning not just to be consumers, but are turning around and learning to contribute uh, to the church, to contribute uh, to serve other people. So my hope is the, the individual people that Paul celebrates, it, it's replicated uh, in this church. So if you are in Romans chapter 16, you're excited about learning about some people, give me a hearty ready. Romans 16, verse 1, we'll go all the way through verse 16. This is a lot of people, and so we're just going to work our way uh, through them one at a time. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, scriptures will be here on the screen for you. Paul says to the church, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Everybody say Phoebe. A servant of the church at Conakry, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. And help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. First person that we are introduced to is a uh, really incredible, faithful na lady named uh, Phoebe. Uh, there is a principle in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, called the principle of firsts. Uh, if there's a long list of, of people or even places, uh, most of the time the first one is put there very specifically uh, because they have a preeminent role. Uh, that's why in the list of the apostles, it's almost always Peter listed first because he was the leader. And so when you look at a list, you have to pay very careful attention um, to who or what comes first. And I, it's, it's unbelievable that in the first century in Rome, uh, Paul writes the most important, influential letter in the history of the world, and he gets to the end, and he, through the principle of first, puts a lady first. That is an incredibly countercultural thing for him to do. So of all this list, she might have been the most weighty uh, person in this list. Uh, she was preeminent. She's perhaps most important. She was a woman, uh, and you know that the Christian ministry uh, that Jesus began, uh, it elevated women in their culture to their rightful God-given place, uh, that they have equal value with men. And that was a wildly revolutionary thing. You see it all over Jesus' ministry, and therefore, uh, you see it in Paul and Peter's ministry. Uh, so he commends Phoebe. Uh, he says that she is a servant of the church. I want to really pick apart four different things uh, that Paul commends Phoebe for. He says she's a servant of the church. And the word servant he uses is diakonos, and if you're uh, familiar with the church or uh, have a background in church, then you probably pick up on that word deacon. Um, the word deacon can sometimes just talk about uh, a function, uh, that just a servant. Just at heart, she was a servant. She loved to serve people and to meet needs, but sometimes it refers to an actual office or a position of leadership in the church that uh, so-and-so was a deacon. Uh, it's a little bit unclear uh, which one of those he is using with Phoebe, although I personally think uh, it's probably both. I think she just had a general disposition that she was a servant, much like Jesus, uh, and she probably, in the church where she was at, had a very prominent leadership position. And Paul says, listen, I want to commend to you Phoebe. She's a servant of the church. What is celebrated is replicated. Paul celebrates Phoebe for being a servant and this is like in, in our culture, the word servant, it's somewhat celebrated because we've heard about it all the time. You need to serve people. You need to be a servant. Um, this would be much more of a, uh, an offensive thing in the first century. Um, this would be like if we translated it, uh, doulos, as it often is in the New Testament, and somebody calls you a slave. Uh, we don't like that as much um, because the word slave really kind of it communicates that we don't have any choice. A servant communicates to Americans that, well, when we have enough free time, we can just kind of choose to serve. But in the New Testament, when it's talking about a servant, it's talking about someone who just has given up the rights to their own life and has chosen to live their lives at the mercy of other people. She was a servant. And Paul commends her, and I think Paul wanted that attitude uh, to, be, to, to really spread like wildfire among the church in Rome. 
Uh, she was a servant of the church in Conakry. Most people believe that Paul is writing the book of Romans uh, from the church in the town of Corinth. Uh, and Conakry would have been right there, very close to Corinth. And uh, so she was involved in his ministry. They had known each other obviously very well. And probably Phoebe would be the one that would run up to Corinth, that would grab this letter, and she would be the one to hand deliver the letter of Romans uh, from Corinth to the church in Rome. Um, could you imagine? Imagine uh, the, the pressure if you were Phoebe and you walk up and Paul hands you this, uh, this like handwritten letter that you just kind of would feel has some incredible importance and he hands it to you. He's like, don't lose it. <laughs> Take this to Rome. Make sure you don't lose it. Um, it's incredible how much we have been blessed just by the, the simple faithfulness of Phoebe being willing to carry a letter to Rome. And no doubt, Paul had an incredible amount of trust for her. Uh, basically, he says that, um, that, that you may, verse 2, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you. Paul basically gave her a blank check with the church in Rome told the church when she shows up with this letter, she's going to have some needs and, and have some things that she needs from you. Whatever she asks, I want you to bend over backwards to try and help and serve her because I love and trust her. Uh, she was given really a blank check by Paul. And then it says, because she, um, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. That word patron, uh, it has uh, somewhat of a financial meaning to it. It means that she was probably a very successful, uh, very wealthy woman. Uh, not sure if she was married, not sure if she was single, but um, because she was a patron of Paul and really the, uh, a lot of churches, that she had a lot of money and she was very generous to help uh, invest that into the kingdom of God, into Paul's life, into Paul's ministry, into what Paul says is, is many people. Uh, she was a patron. Sometimes um, you, you'll receive, if you have investments in certain things, you'll receive a patronage check, right? So you're like, nope, never heard of that. Sounds great. Uh, patron, it's like it's money that's given to, uh, to, to, to help, right? And uh, she was a patron, this uh, incredibly wealthy, very sharp businesswoman um, that was willing to really put her money where her heart was and invest her wealth in gospel ministry. What's celebrated is replicated. That's, that's Phoebe. She's the one that first out of the gate, really honorable, really incredible woman. Then he keeps going. He says in verse 3, greet Prissa and Aquila, uh, which um, you might uh, know the names Priscilla and Aquila. Oftentimes when Peter writes about them, he uses that name, but Paul uses the name uh, Prissa and Aquila. It's the same two people. Uh, greet Prissa and Aquila, Paul says, uh, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Uh, the second group of people, Priscilla and Aquila, or Priscilla and Aquila, that Paul elevates uh, to honor them and to hopefully replicate their lifestyle is Priscilla and Aquila. And if you read through the, uh, really beginning in Acts and read through some of the New Testament, uh, you're going to find out that Priscilla and Aquila were like the, the power couple of the New Testament. They're, they're mentioned often. They were very, very weighty uh, in the, the New Testament uh, gospel movement in the first century. Uh, they were tent makers. Um, that's where they ran into Paul. They had a similar uh, job and similar um, uh, lifestyle as they were making tents for a living. That's where they ran into Paul, and uh, then they would uh, really merge with his ministry multiple times. They would wind up in Ephesus, and Paul trusted them so much, uh, he would leave Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus to lead one of the most important churches in the world uh, in Paul's absence. Um, they also were probably a fairly wealthy couple because they had the ability to move from city to city uh, and to support their lives and themselves doing ministry uh, and feeding their income perhaps through tip making as was necessary. Um, they were relocating to Rome um, to help as a very strategic gospel hub. Uh, they were going to up root their family, their lives, and move to Rome. They began a house church, and they helped serve uh, the church in Rome. Uh, pretty incredible what they were willing to do, and I would uh, throw this as a small asterisk. Um, what you do, and, and this is something to, to learn from Prissa and Aquila, what you do with the margin in your life, whether it's financial margin or time margin, truly reveals what you truly love. 
If you have enough money and free time to do what you want, then what you want to do shows what you love to do. And what they loved to do is get involved in the church and missions and serving people and home church and discipling people. What an incredible model for us who, many of you, you have enough margin in life where you actually have a savings account, right? Much of the world does not have extra money every month to put in a savings account just for emergencies. If you have some margin in time, if you you have some margin in finances. What you choose to do with that determines what you truly love. And if all of that just simply goes to vacations and to vacation homes and to more uh, assets for the future, um, then there's something that we can learn from Priscilla and Aquila to use our margins uh, to love and to serve Jesus. They were probably very well off. Um, th- they were a power couple. Their name switches off and on uh, as to who's first. Um, sometimes it's Priscilla and Aquila, sometimes it's Aquila and Priscilla, probably meaning they were both incredibly high-caliber people, incredibly high-caliber leaders in the church. Uh, they led, you see this, they led a house church. Um, he says uh, in verse 5, greet also the church in their house. Uh, oftentimes, uh, a house church didn't necessarily meet inside uh, of a house because they wouldn't have uh, heat or air conditioning. And so, oftentimes, houses had very large uh, courtyards uh, or very large porches where people would gather. And so, house church could very well mean a few dozen people, and it could also mean a few hundred people. Uh, we just ha- we have no idea how many people gathered at Priscilla and Aquila's house, but they were hospitable. They were willing to open up their home for the sake of the gospel. And so they were leading a house church. Um, They were actively uh, discipling individuals and sharing the gospel and leading Bible studies and no doubt uh, cooking meals and picking up trash and their furniture was getting broken. They were just uh, truly hospitable people. And you find out at some point along the way they discipled a man named Apollos. Everybody say Apollos. He would be really almost to to the level of prominence that Paul would be in the New Testament. And he is a result of this volunteer couples ministry that they produce some of the most stout uh, leaders um, in the church. And I I love that. Do you ever read part of the Bible and you're like, "Ah, I I would would like more information about that. That seems super interesting. This to me is one of those. He just says, they risked their necks for my life. Man, what happened? I would, I would really know, love to know what on earth what kind of trouble was Paul in, and how did they jump in to risk their physical risk their physically risk their necks for Paul's life? And he says it was such a, a, an important thing uh, and, and a public thing. It says, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. All the churches of the Gentiles knew whatever this moment of incredible courage and sacrifice was that they jumped in and physically risked their lives for Paul. I mean, you talk about putting your money where your mouth is and your life where your heart is. Um, Priscilla and Aquila were just that. They were willing to invest their money and their free time and even their lives for the sake of Paul. In fact, we probably have a big chunk of the New Testament that Paul wrote because of whatever this sacrifice was um, that Priscilla and Aquila were willing to make for Paul. Maybe there's something in Priscilla and Aquila's life that you can learn from, that you can imitate. Paul elevates them, and he says to greet them as fellow workers in the gospel. He keeps going. Uh, Halfway through verse 5, he says, Greet my beloved Epinatus. Uh, some of these names I very well might pronounce um, because I don't know how to pronounce some of them, but fake it till you make it, right? Uh, so just be confident. Uh, greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. How many of you would love to have that badge of, uh, of honor and faith? That, like the entire continent, do you know how many millions and millions and millions of Christians there are in Asia? I don't either, but it's a lot. It's a lot, and you can trace them all back to this very, very first one. Uh, and, and, and the ESV kind of fumbles this translation a little bit uh, when they say the first convert um, because the language that Paul uses to write this, what he literally is saying is they were the first fruits, uh, that this person was not just the first convert but the first fruit, which very practically means uh, was not just the first but was the first of many, 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 many more to come. 
which now from our vantage point in history, we've seen that. But could you imagine the kind of faith and courage it would take to be the very first one in your religion, in your city, in your family, in the continent to believe the gospel of Jesus, to think, you know what? Jesus is God in the flesh. He did live a perfect life. He did die for me so that I could be forgiven and restored to relationship with God by grace through faith in Christ. What an unbelievable amount of faith it would take to be the first fruits. And some of y'all, I, I just I know this by uh, by knowing some of your stories. Um, some of you, you're not the first fruits in the in the continent, uh, but you're the first fruits in your family. I was talking to some folks a couple weeks ago uh, just how difficult the life is because they're the only Christians in their family, and they get a lot of flack and a lot of resistance uh, for following Jesus, for uh, going to church because their lives are different now than they used to be, and they're very different than the rest of their family. Listen, if that's you... Can I, um, can I just encourage you uh, to stay the course, uh, to keep the faith? It's something incredible about those who have the courage and the faith to be the first fruits is as they endure and they're faithful to Jesus over time, a lot of different people are probably taking note of that, and you have the potential to change your family tree. You have the potential to absolutely change your family tree for generations. So if that's you, find some family and some encouragement in this church so that you can be uh, faithful as the first fruits. But that's Epinatus. Uh, he had the incredible faith and courage to be uh, the first convert uh, to Christ in Asia. We keep going. Verse 6, uh, Paul says, greet Mary. Everybody say Mary. A lot of Marys in the Bible, a lot of Marys in the New Testament. Uh, this was a very, very common name. Uh, there is no reason that we should believe she was any of the other Marys that we are uh, familiar with from the Gospels. Uh, but he says, greet Mary who has worked hard for you. That's all he says. And I think this is so interesting. Some of these people that are mentioned in Romans 16, this is the only few words that commemorate their entire life and their contribution um, to the gospel. And so they're incredibly important, even though they're very small. We don't know Mary's last name. We don't know anything about her. We don't know if she was Jew or Gentile, if she was rich or poor. What do we know? What, 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 did, she, what did Paul love about her? She worked hard for you. She was a lady, we know that, that her name is a, is a female name, and we know that she worked hard very specifically for the people in Rome. What did she do? Did she pick up and tear down chairs? Did she probably didn't do sound? We can kind of check that one off the list. Did she help with babies? Did she teach Bible studies? Did she personally disciple? Did she bring meals? Did she serve uh, the elderly, the sick? We have no idea, but she was a servant who worked hard for you, and Paul was obviously moved by people who served. Listen, in a, in a culture that is incredibly consumeristic like the one that we live in, I think probably more consumeristic than the generic Roman culture of Paul's days. We, we, we are fighting much more up against the stream of consumerism than they were, and, and yet Paul just kind of noticed the people that were not in it for themselves, that didn't show up to church to only get things, they showed up to not just to consume but to contribute. Paul, Paul noticed them. And he calls them out, and he, he honors them, and he says to greet Mary because she has worked hard for you. And maybe a lot of these people in the church had no idea, and they start thinking, you're like, you know what? She, she has worked hard. She's done things, and we haven't noticed, and uh, we've all been the benefits of her ministry and her service and Mary's hard work, but I never stopped to think she was actually the one bringing the meals. I never stopped to think she was the, actually the one uh, cleaning up after a small group. She was actually the one that was uh, watching kids and teaching kids in, in, the, in the, the Roman Redeemer Kids Ministry. Uh, who knows what she did, but she was a worker, and she worked hard for people, and Paul commended her. Verse 7, he says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, for they are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Um, they were Jewish Christians. That was, that's what Paul means when he says they were fellow kinsmen. Um, we're not sure really who they are. Um, 
perhaps one of them is a man, one is a woman. There's a good chance that this is a married couple, although they could be uh, close friends as well. Um, but says that they're, Paul loved the idea that not just did they share that they were Christians, but they were also Jews uh, as Paul was. He says they were, whatever they did, however weighty their lives and ministry were, it meant that all the apostles knew who they were. The apostles were well acquainted with them. And Paul says they were in Christ before him even. Um, could you imagine what, what Paul probably learned from them and their example? And yet this is all that we know about their lives. All that we know is that they were followers of Jesus, they were kinsmen, and then Paul says they were fellow prisoners, that they believed in Jesus enough that they were willing to go to jail, to go to prison with Paul for Jesus. I mentioned this before, especially uh, a few years ago uh, in our first Peter series where we were walking through what it looks like to be exiles uh, in a non-Christian culture. And, and I believe this to be true over the next few years or perhaps decades. Um, the price tag for being a faithful Christian, faithful to Jesus in the United States is going to go up. Are you willing to endure some difficulties, some slander, Perhaps I mean, prison time is coming for some faithful pastors in our country, in our lifetime. Are you, what are you willing to do for the sake of Jesus? And Paul loved these people and said, they were, they were my fellow prisoners. They're well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before even Paul. Maybe there's something that you can learn and be encouraged uh, from Andronicus and Junia. Verse 8, he keeps going. He says, greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Don't know much about Ampliatus, but um, that uh, Ampliatus was beloved. Apparently, Paul really loved this guy. Uh, this is my, Paul says, my beloved. And in a few moments, he's going to talk about somebody else that he, he refers to them as the beloved, like everybody loves them. But just very specifically, there's some reason that Paul loved this person and wanted to encourage Ampliatus. Uh, maybe they deserved uh, accolades. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they were incredible people and they were serving. Maybe they weren't. Maybe this person was just just had a special place in Paul's heart, and he wants them to know, listen, sometimes it doesn't matter what you contribute. You just need to know that you're loved. Uh, and uh, there's definitely a shadow of the gospel in this, that um, despite what you bring to the table, uh, because you're a Christian and you're in Christ, that means that God loves you, that you are beloved. And if that's, uh, if that's true, then that uh, for sure is enough. But Paul says, greet, imply it is my beloved in the Lord. Verse 9, he says, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in, the God, in Christ, and my beloved Statius. Uh, greet Urbanus, uh, because he says they're a worker. They work. They do things. They're willing to get their, their hands dirty. Do you all see how Paul keeps highlighting the handful of people that were doing the ministry, that were working, um, that were getting their, 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 their hands dirty, so to speak? That's what caught Paul off guard. That, that's how you true, I, I, I think. That's how you truly know that the gospel is working in someone's heart. They become a servant like Jesus. Through this entire journey that we've had through Romans, I would spin this on you for just a moment and have an honest moment where you think through, has this journey and my increase in knowledge and, and theology and the gospel, has this turned me into more of a servant Am I, am I working for other people? Has the gospel turned my attention towards others to lay my life down as Jesus? I think that's why Paul is elevating these. He says, this was our fellow worker in Christ. Verse 10, he says, greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Approved in Christ, not beloved, not a worker, but very uniquely. This is the only one in the list that bears this description. He says, this one was approved. Um, my wife and I and our kids got to go on a little vacation this last week, and we were uh, actually at the beach in Florida, which is a little bit stressful trying to keep track of uh, three kids in the water. So our youngest, uh, Hudson, had a, a life jacket on or a flotation device on, and I looked at it, and it says that it was approved not just, it wasn't just a life jacket, it was an approved life jacket. What does that mean? That means that they tested it. Whew, praise God. They didn't just say, um, yeah, this one looks okay. I, I hope it works, hope it'll float. Let's sell it to some guy and put it on a seven-year-old kid. No, it was approved. It went through some testing, went through some trials. It succeeded, it withheld, and so they put a stamp that this is approved. This is what Paul's saying about this man named Apelles. He's been through it. We don't know what it was, 
maybe physical suffering, maybe abandoned by his family, just maybe some type of persecution, not sure exactly what, but he had gone through some difficulties in his life. And, and he walked through them still believing in the goodness of God, still laying his life down to serve other people. And so Paul says, listen, uh, he's been through the trial, and he is the real deal. He is legit. He has been approved. There's some really faulty theology in our world that says if you're going through any kind of difficulties, um, then obviously God has abandoned you and he doesn't love you because if he loves you, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? Uh, and that just doesn't jive with um, the life of Jesus nor any of his followers in the New Testament. But what, what is happening, as, as, the, as James says, that our faith is being tested during difficulties so that we can be approved, and so this is what Paul is saying. Apellus has been through whatever it was, and he passed the test. His faith stood the test through difficulties. So you can watch his life. You can learn from him. And, and I'll tell you this. There's a lot of people in Redeemer that I would say very similar things of. They've been through some incredible difficulties. And their faith is stronger. They, they have been approved. They've been approved. Uh, he keeps going in this in verse 10. He says, greet those who belong uh, to the family of Aristobulus. Okay, Aristobulus was probably a grandson of uh, Herod the Great, which if you know the story of Herod the Great, uh, he's the one that tried to uh, squash the Messiah when he heard that Jesus the Christ was born. And so he sent out some of his, um, some of his leaders to go kill all of the young uh, male children uh, in uh, the whole area there around Bethlehem. Uh, that's him. Doesn't have a real good uh, place in history. Was a pretty wicked and evil man. And so one of his descendants, probably grandson, uh, was this man named Aristobulus. And at some point, Aristobulus moves to Rome uh, with all of his household and all of his slaves. And then when Aristobulus is, uh, when, he, when he dies, all of his slaves just go to the emperor's family. And it's, it's incredible that there's members that are Christians in this family. Their grandpa was a terrorist, and now they belong to uh, the leader of the Roman Empire, and yet the gospel has infiltrated it and somehow would spill to the Roman Empire because of the household or the family of Aristobulus. And so, Paul, it's just unbelievable the diversity of this list, the diversity of the list of people that were following Jesus in this church in Rome. And Paul says, greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Verse 11, he says, greet my kinsman Herodian. Uh, Herodian is a Jewish name. Um, he's Jew and a Christian. He's obviously got some connections with Herod uh, as well. Um, incredible that th this person and his family were following Jesus. He keeps going. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. How many of you could say that's a really unfortunate name? You're like, I showed up this morning. I want to look through the list. We're pregnant. I'm going to find a name for my baby. Uh, go with Rufus. Rufus is coming up in a minute. Uh, go with Aristobulus. Uh, don't go with Narcissist, although apparently Narcissist was a fairly good dude, but with an unfortunate name. Uh, name, uh, really, uh, you look a little bit into history, you think that this is probably a wealthy freedman uh, who at some point had been a slave but was free and became wealthy and was very powerful and very uh, prominent, was put to death under Nero. And his slaves also would have passed to the emperor, but you have inside of his family people that bowed their knee not to Caesar or to King Herod, but to King Jesus. And Paul wants to honor them and elevate them. And then in verse 12, he says, uh, greet those who? Does he say, greet the freeloaders in the Lord? No, what does he say? Greet the workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Everybody say Tryphena and Tryphosa. Those are fun. <laughs> if you're looking for a name for a girl, these would actually, although they're difficult to pronounce, maybe uh, fantastic examples. Um, both of those words, they're, pro they're, they're definitely female. They're definitely girls. Uh, they're probably sisters, and both of their names come from a variation that means dainty or delicate. Um, perhaps they were tiny, 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 tiny little bitty girls um, that maybe were fierce, maybe were, I, I, don't, I don't know. You just kind of, my imagination kind of goes uh, further than is a allowed in some of these, but uh, probably small stature uh, young women. Um, and the way that Paul phrases this, his wording lends to that they were probably part of an aristocratic, very wealthy, very powerful family. And then he juxtaposes that with uh, that they are workers 
in the Lord. He's like, yeah, they come from a lot of money, and they very easily could have a life of ease with servants, but they have chosen a life of humility as servants. They could have had a very different life, but they have decided that they're going to invest their life as workers in the Lord. These ladies were working hard for Jesus. It's not just good theologians, but they had applied their theology to do some very specific things for some very specific people. And then he goes on, he says, greet the beloved Persis, who has what? Worked hard in the Lord. Uh, Persis was uh, another female. Uh, Don't know much about Persis uh, other than she worked hard in the Lord. And the way that this is phrased, it it means that it wasn't just a a single event in her life. It it was a lifestyle that she just didn't have this one moment where she did something um, very uh, servant-oriented. She was a servant over and over, but it's also past tense meaning maybe she was sick, maybe she was old, um, but Paul wants the church to recognize how much she had in the past invested in the people's lives around them. And and, and this is the one that um, uh, she is not, Paul doesn't say she's my beloved, she says, greet the beloved. It's like everybody loved Persis. Everybody loved Persis because she was the first one there uh, to help. She was the first one to, uh, to bring meals. She was the first one to pray, the first one to encourage. He says, she worked hard in the Lord. Verse 13, greet Rufus. Everybody say Rufus. Rufus was a person, not a dog, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother. This is one of the two that's mentioned specifically but not by name. Greet Rufus, chosen the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Um, We don't know this for sure, but there's a good chance that Mark 15, uh, when it talks about a man named Rufus, whose father was Simon of Cyrene, who is the one who carried Jesus' cross. Do you all remember that story? Jesus had been beaten so horrifically uh, when it came time for him to carry the heavy cross beam up to Golgotha. He collapsed, and they chose a man out of the crowd to help pick up his cross and carry it up so that he could be crucified. Uh, A man named Simon was that man who had a son named Rufus. I think it's the same one. Uh, And his mother, so could you imagine if your dad was the one who helped Jesus physically carry his cross, and your mom was somewhat of a mother to Paul. What an incredible legacy of faith this family had. It says, greet Rufus. He's chosen in the Lord. And, you know, if, if you're a Christian, we've seen this all throughout Romans. It's, it's not because you chose God. It's because God chose you. God chose you. God chose to soften your heart. God chose to speak to you. He freed up your will and your mind so that you might choose Him. So they both are are true, but uh, we were chosen in Christ. In fact, the Word of God says we were chosen before the foundation of the world was ever laid. Some of you have a real problem with being chosen. I'll tell you this, that that is the key to understanding true grace. You can never understand true, absolute grace until you're willing to stand and say, what? Like, like he, just, he just chose me. He just chose to bless me. He just chose to give me grace. Could you imagine? Uh, I don't know. Maybe there was something going on in Rufus's life where Paul thought, you know, he's hit a rough patch. Maybe he's discouraged. Maybe he's depressed. He needs to be reminded that he is chosen in the Lord. And, I, and, and also Rufus's mother, whatever, whatever her name is, Paul says, she's been a mother to me as well. Um, do, do you see this throughout Paul's life that Paul leaned heavily on the church as his literal family. There were women in the church that were just as much a mother to him as his earthly mother. There were men in the church that were just as much fathers. He had uh, siblings, so to speak, in the church that were encouragers. He had uh, children in the faith like Timothy and Titus that he had uh, shared the gospel with and discipled. Uh, for, for years and years and years since Hannah and I have been married, uh, we, we've really never lived anywhere close to family. Uh, her parents are in the Atlanta area. My uh, dad and stepmom are in Alberta, Canada. And so we've learned the lesson that, um, that the church is family. And for us, that's been our story, that through a lot of difficult seasons and a lot of incredible uh, celebrations, um, that the church has been there for us. That's why I talk about all the time, what are we? We're a gospel-centered what? Missional what? Family. 
literal family. Like so, maybe some of you are like, I don't know, I need, I need a mom. I need a mom. Listen, my mom passed away 14 years ago. I've got a few moms in this church. Some of you are like, I don't know, my dad was a deadbeat. He was a loser. He left. You, you need a dad. You need a father that can come alongside of you and, and, and speak some courage and some identity into you. And if you don't have that out here, God's designed it so that you can find that in here. You need some encouragement. You need some brothers and sisters. You need to be producing some uh, spiritual children that are learning from you. I, I think this is one of the reasons Paul includes this. Like, listen, she was so incredible. She was like my mother. She was a mother to me as well. Verse 14, greet Asyncritus, uh, Phlegian, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Uh, he just kind of lumps all of them together, and we don't know much. Actually, we don't know anything about hardly any of them uh, other than they're, they're a group of men um, that Paul was excited about, and he wanted the church to greet them. Uh, I kind of think of this as a group of young single men that we have here at Redeemer that are always leading, they're always giving, they're always serving, and I love them dearly. And Paul's like, I just love all these guys. Greet them. They're doing some incredible work. Uh, we don't know much about them other than most of those names are very common slave names. So probably this was a group of either slaves or former slaves that they have no other foot in their culture. But, but Christianity is so countercultural that these single men, they weren't property owners, they weren't married, they didn't have families, um, they, they, they were probably uh, slaves that were busy serving Jesus, and they are encapsulated their stories in the Bible forever because the gospel is the great equalizer. The, the culture didn't give them a lot of value, but Paul did. Paul did, and Paul loved them, and he elevated them. Verse 15, greet Philologus, uh, which uh, means one of two things. It's somewhat of a nickname. Philo, you know this means, uh, means love, Philadelphia, uh, city of love. Uh, Philologus either means a lover of the Word, like this person just loved uh, the Word of God, or they just love words and they just talked a lot. Uh, so it could kind of go either way. Either it's like this dude is just a Bible guy, or this guy's just a chatterbox. He won't quit talking. I'm not sure which one, but Paul loved him. Uh, Greek Philo Logos, uh, Julia, uh, don't know anything other than that's a very common slave, female slave name. Um, uh, Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Um, this is perhaps, a lot of theologians believe, this is an entire other house church um, that is made up of a bunch of random people with very crazy different backgrounds and all brought together under the banner of Christ. And Paul says this again. He says, and all the saints who are with them. We've, I, we've talked about this so many times over the years, that Paul applies the term saints um, to people who have responded to the gospel. My mother grew up Catholic, and she had a very different understanding. The Catholic Church had taught her over the years that um, saint was what you were working towards. You needed to have a life full of good works, uh, and if your life is awesome, almost void of sin and incredible good works and even a few miracles, um, that at the end of your life, at the finish line, you can be named a saint. Uh, let, let me just tell you this, that is not helpful nor biblical. The Bible, the, the, the term saint is the starting position for the Christian. That's what you are given the moment you believe in Christ. He wipes away your sin, forgives you, and gives you the name of Satan. Now says, like, go out and live your life. Live up to the name that you have already been given. It's the beginning point for Christians, not the finish line. Verse 16, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, we want to be a people of obedience and of fierce uh, action. So uh, turn to your neighbor uh, real quick, if you would. Um, greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, I'm just kidding. I bet you for 2,000 years, every single preacher that's ever preached this has, you, it's just such a softball lob over the plate. Uh, sorry, I just couldn't help myself. Uh, obviously, uh, a holy kiss in their culture would have been probably two kisses on the cheek, uh, very similar to uh, a handshake in our culture, a high five or a hug. Uh, the, 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 the point Maybe, maybe if you're a young single man, you're like, to your disappointment. The point in this verse is not the kiss. It's not like, I found my new life verse. Getting a t-shirt and a mug made this week. 
Greet one another with a holy kiss, Romans 16, 16. Um, What I think the point is, is that Paul, throughout this list of individual people's names and a greet one another with a holy kiss, is he's trying to remind them, listen, church is a family. It's about real relationships with real people. It's not an event. It's not something that you come to and you sit next to strangers and you listen to a sermon and you walk out to rinse and repeat the next week. Uh, It's not a lot of the things that American Christianity has become. It's a family where you're to be known and you're to know other people and you're to have relationships deep enough where you walk in and eventually you greet someone with a holy kiss. You greet your friends and your family with a hug, with a handshake because you're in the family of Christ together. Out of all the incredible, the crazy diversity that is in this list, they are in the same family, they're in the same local churches because Jesus Christ was their least common denominator. Their financial status didn't bring them together, their college or university of choice didn't bring them together, their ethnicity didn't bring them together, Jesus brought them together as a gospel-centered missional family. So, for you, what about you? If, if, if Paul were to write a letter uh, to the church in Midland, w- would you be one of the ones that would kind of rise to the top as an exemplary person that Paul would say, uh, note their life and, and the outcome of, of their life and, and follow suit? Or would it be one of us that would, would, would listen to this and would hear all these other people and then you're given an opportunity to learn from some of these examples because what is celebrated is replicated? So I would I would deeply encourage you to think, who can you be encouraged uh, about and learn from in this list? Because this list was not given to us just simply to celebrate, but for us to understand these are the virtues that God wants to see in His church. People that are getting their fingernails dirty, that are willing to give their actual money and riches and wealth as patrons of the gospel, that are willing to be servants and workers for the sake of the gospel. I want to pray, and I want to give you a moment to think through and to respond through this personally. Jesus, um, I, I love you this morning. I'm so thankful for this letter. I'm thankful that, you, that Paul didn't just end the book with theology in a period that he said, this, this theology is actually working. It's changing a whole lot of people's lives. So, Father, I pray that you would elevate them as an example to us, and I pray that each one of us uh, would see really see through their examples and see Christ, that what you have elevated in them is what they learned from Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us in this room to invest our money and our time and our lives and our living rooms for the sake of the gospel. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. I pray that your spirit would very clearly and strongly work through each one of our hearts in these next few moments. That you would chisel us into the image of Christ and that you would help us as a church uh, to grow and to learn and to be more faithful to, to cherish you, Jesus, with all of our hearts and to love and to serve people. Jesus, we love you. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.